Welcome back to another episode of the Heart Square podcast. This week, we talked to a couple of our senior business change consultants here at Heart Square, um, Helen, Matt, and Andrew, and we chat about what makes a good organisational strategy. Thanks, Eddie. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one, I must say, because uh, I think organisational strategy, strategy generally, is one of those. There's lots of different opinions about kind of. Um, what what makes a good strategy what comprises it and I, I mean yeah looking forward to hearing what the guys have to say is it about kind of what are the components within it is it about how ambitious it is how appropriate it is so i know you know they've definitely got good experience working with a number of clients and developing strategies so yeah be good to hear what they've got to say yeah it'll be good to hear kind of what they've seen out in the sector and and what people do and um, yeah. and from that what makes a good one and um, so we'll get started straight into this episode so don't forget if you do enjoy it be sure to leave us a review hi and welcome back to another episode of the heart square podcast this week we are talking all about organizational strategy and we are doing that with andrew matt and helen from the heart square team so before we get into the conversation i wondered if you could all just briefly introduce yourselves and your role here at heart square for those who might not know you so if i could start with andrew hi there um i'm andrew uh, i'm one of the senior business change consultants at heart square uh, working on uh, a major uh, implementation at a membership organisation at the moment uh, with uh, quite a long time before go live, but uh, enjoying that very much. Great, thanks Andrew. And Helen? Hello, hi, I'm uh, Helen, Helen McGrath. I'm also a Senior Business Change Consultant at Heart Square, and uh, like Andrew, I'm working on a, a big CRM implementation with a membership organisation. Great, thanks Helen. And finally, Matt. Thank you. I'm Matt Dunphy, also a senior business change consultant. And at present, I'm doing some change management activity for a client and also actually working on a digital technology strategy. So really looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, Matt. So we're going to talk about um, kind of what makes a good organisational strategy. Uh, that's the, the kind of the main topic for the, for the podcast. Maybe to start with, you've all described that you're currently working on significant size implementations with clients. Um, and maybe that first question kind of sets a good context, which is around, you know, do your clients see themselves as being in the middle of delivering a, an organisational strategy? Do they have a strategy around the project or are they simply, you know, and it's not a wrong place to be, but are they simply thinking, no, we're delivering, we're trying to deliver a digital project or more? I don't know, Andrew, do you want to take that one to start with? Yeah, uh, thanks, Rob. Um, a, an interesting question, I think, because there's definitely I suppose organisational change uh, within the projects I'm working on, um, benefits within the system that that are going to drive the organisation forward. Um, I, however, I joined the project I'm currently on uh, early in the implementation, but not at the beginning, and, and I'm not party to uh, the detail of an organisational strategy. That's not to say there isn't one, uh, and that's not to say that this project is feeding into one. Uh, I, I'm certain that it is, but it, it's not something which is right at the forefront of every day, uh, the day-to-day -day working of uh, of the project. Though, as I said, definitely brings a lot of uh, benefit to the organisation and change to the organisation. Definitely going to drive them forward in ways that I would expect uh, that they want to develop through an organisational strategy. Um, but the 
I suppose the, the, the real objective of the project, the reason for the project is as much about replacing old legacy systems as it is about uh, driving the organisation forward. So I, th I think um, others may share sort of a similar view that um, the organisational strategy isn't always the main driver for the projects that we work on. Uh, yeah, just to jump in, Andrew, I do agree. Um, the client I'm working with at the moment, we're working on a digital technology strategy. And I would say um, there is an organisational actually set of strategies alongside digital technology there, that is their focus. There isn't one overarching, you know, sometimes what I call a corporate strategy um, for the organisation. And I absolutely agree that sometimes our project and its objectives is the driving force. Um, I probably would add to it, and, and Helen, I'm sure, will have a view. What I like to see, or a good state to be in, is, is when we come on board, usually doing a business case uh, for investment, we do see a strategy or we see strategic aims being discussed at that point. Because then for me, it's all about alignment. You can align everything we do, including, as you say, benefits to those objectives. But it's not a perfect world. And you're right, sometimes what we do sits within you know, a set of objectives we can really deliver, which drive forward the organisation. Yes. Um, yeah. Thanks, Matt and Angie. So um, I'm going to echo both of uh, both um, your your points, your sentiments. Um, yeah, I think um, it is at yeah, the business case stage that that's where I tend to see the strategy. Although I wouldn't always say it's forthcoming. I would say you have we have to chase it. <laughs> Someone digs it out, digs it out of a dusty drawer somewhere. I wouldn't say it's always presented up front. Um, but it's, um, I always like to get the, the, the strategy at, at that point when we're doing the business cases from the client to understand that wider context. And I, you know, I like, I like to, to know the bigger picture so that we're not working in a vacuum. Um, but then I think, and I, and the partners like that too, actually, I've noticed that as well. The tech partners always like to have that, um, um, that, that, uh, that visibility too. Um, but I, I do feel now I'm in a, an implementation phase of a CRM project um organizational strategy doesn't doesn't get a looking really and that, i think that's probably the, just the because the day-to-day -day pressures of the project you know um it, it almost seems um a little bit indulgent quite frankly to be talking about an organizational strategy when there's there's so much to do that probably sounds a bit flippant um but it is i think it needs that you know the, the time pressures and then the need to get on um means i think that organizational strategy gets pushed back a little bit. I guess maybe the only time it would come back into play was if a change control was presented, certainly then, and depending on the, the scope and the significance of the change control, then I'd be banging on the table about strategy. Yeah, I would be going back to basics, going back to the business case and saying, OK, why are we here and do we really need this? Um, if I can jump in a little bit, um, one of my last clients, uh, I was with them for quite a long time, right from sort of requirements gathering all through uh, implementation. Uh, actually, the very first set of meetings I had with that client was with their directors um, who were the project board members, but but the directors of the organisation. And we really did discuss in quite a lot of depth um, the project objectives, but how they fed into the wider business aims, um, the, the vision they had for the business, short term, medium term, long term. Um, I didn't receive a sort of strategy document, but there was clearly a vision for where they wanted the business to be. Uh, and actually that 
that did underpin all of the project and the requirements gathering all the way through the vendor selection, particularly the partner selection, looking forward for a partner who could support that long term vision uh, that the directors had for the company. Um, though when we got into implementation, kind of put on the back seat, there's just so much going on um, during that implementation phase and it, it's just almost too much to think about that the strategy, the long term vision. But as we approached go live and approached the, the end of my involvement, that's when I returned to it and uh, providing information to the directors about where the project had supported and was supporting uh, those aims and objectives, not just for the project, but for the business as well. And actually, it was that felt like a good time drawing to a close of my involvement. Uh, that project closure report was all about where we have met or are meeting or a little bit more work is required in all honesty to, to meet those organisational objectives uh, for, for their vision for the future. I definitely agree and I think again Andrew I, I know um, pragmatism in there and I think with some of our clients and in some of my experience yeah what you find is I think you don't want to retrofit everything but it, it's really useful, uh, particularly if it's just a project that's been delivered well, to go back and demonstrate how it's driven benefits and it's aligned with, as you said, the organisation's aims. Another element of pragmatism for me is we usually start our processes at Business Case with a sense of roadmap. Now that is for technology. Let's say it's quite heavy. It's CRM, website, maybe you know a portal of services. Uh, so usually our clients can see a two-year you know, horizon. And what I love doing, if it's not formulated and given to me already, is starting to see what else is in the air. And I think as we start to plan and we start to, you know, to move through the stages of that roadmap, what you tend to see, and I'm, I'm sure I'd be interested in your thoughts, you see those little planes in the air that are other projects, even non-technical, they are in flight or they are about to be in flight. So I think working with dependencies, uh, and, and trying to just create a picture of our roadmap plus really helps because then I think you get up to the level of organisation and you get up to the level of strategically everything that's going on and, and you know, how do we align the activity? Um, and I think another thing I hear a client saying an awful lot is, you know, managing the moving parts. And I think if you can do that, you start to get up to this level of actually we, we are strategically focused. We, we've got our next two years, two, three years planned out in full. I think that's a good point, Matt. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, among the various aspects, if we're talking about what a strategy comprises, I think it's understandable that you guys in your current projects in those stages of implementation, that actually the strategy does take a bit of a back burner. But it's important that there is some kind of vision there because it's kind of it's about vision and it's about resources, isn't it? And I know again in your current projects within implementations you know managing people's time getting their buy-in you know getting them aligned and equally for you to understand the other demands on their time it's like a critical piece of work that you do isn't it? that kind of resource planning so from those two real people aspects on the one hand helping you to understand the demands on people's time and what they can offer to the project and on the other side there being a vision beyond it's a new piece of tech to get the wider buy-in you know, there's two key people elements of, of the work that we do 
are the connection in some ways between your project and a strategy. The strategy is needed to provide that context. Is that fair? And is that something you 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 kind of feel you experience in your projects because you go through those waves? I mean, I'd certainly come back and agree. And I think it's great to uh, embed it in things like resourcing and buy-in because I think you're right. They're two kind of um, uh, friction points, or you know, that we we find in projects. And generally, if you keep the conversation going, it's because there are other projects, there are other priorities in people's minds that are around, and having that engagement and uh, and and spending that time when we do our planning, I think it really pays dividends. And sometimes I think we're showing an organisation strategy, and I don't want to be so bold, but you know, in that work, you can you can again demonstrate that there is a big picture. Um, but we've just got to spend the time to yeah get buy-in manage resources and look at a roadmap in full i think um the, the tech is an enabler after all i think um it, the, the tech strategy should not be the organizational strategy that the tech is there to enable the organization strategy to be met potentially um and the people are there to to meet that organizational strategy as well and i wonder whether it's a part of that change management track it's not about adopting and using the tech. It's about adopting and using uh, and meeting the organisational strategy and bringing people along to, to do do the things the organisation wants them to do to develop the organisation. That that's the key thing. Um, using the tech is is a big part of that change, definitely. But it's bringing people along that organisational strategy along to align themselves and their work with the organization's aims and objectives that that perhaps should be a big part of our change management track. Yeah, and I think it probably is when we have those more strategic pieces that we've worked with a client on, you referred earlier to business cases, you know, and the roadmaps that we produce. It is those bigger pieces where we're seeing over the last couple of years, we, we have seen far more uh, interest in the change management aspect of it as alongside the, you know you need the project management you need to you know manage a good project get the right partner change the right tech etc but it is actually change management maybe that's another one of those connectors that take that elevates it from just being a simple I've got an old system the partner won't support it anymore I need a new one yeah to actually this is part of something bigger and maybe change management and we talk about that you know in terms of the comms piece the alignment the and that needs a vision, that needs objectives, doesn't it? You know, um, and I think that the other point I'd say on that when you're talking about the roadmap side is we talk about the need for that to be actionable. And that's a key component of strategy, I think. You know, you don't need to worry about a project to replace your tech being actionable. It just is. But when we talk about business cases and helping an organisation to deliver change, that is about strategic level. It, and one of the things we've always prided ourselves on is our roadmaps are actionable. You know, there's real solid pieces in there that you can hang on to, and they have to then tie into vision. Does that resonate? Um, would you say though that our roadmaps um, end with the implementation, or or do you think that our roadmap, when you, we talk about it in that way, Rob, it, it moves forward beyond the implementation into benefits realisation or, or meeting the aims, objectives of those organisational strategies? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think I think now our roadmaps are looking beyond, if you like, beyond go live. Yeah, <clears throat> um, we talk. It's interesting. We, we were talking the other day about business processes. We used to do a lot of work on reviewing business processes 
Um, and there was a lot of value in that. We, and, you know, I don't know, five years ago, you do that. This is an as-is process. This is what a 2B might look like. But then you go and find some tech to help you do it. I think now we take a longer view and it's saying, you know, you really need to understand your current state. So you do need to, you know, get to grips with what your current processes are, but then in, introduce technology and think about the kind of the, the characteristic of that technology, flexible, adaptive, et cetera, and actually look at your processes further down the line, because until you've got the new tech, you can't understand that what that new way of working might look like. So, sorry, the concept of that being, so actually your go live of the new tech is, it's probably only a third of the way through your journey, you know, give it three months to settle in, implement some new bits, enhancements for what you've learned along the way. So maybe it's six months after go live, now actually do the follow-up business process review, and now you start to implement change, and you have to have a long view to do that. And that almost de facto becomes your strategy. Yeah, it has to become strategic. Yeah, no, I, I would perfectly um, you know, agree with you there. I think the challenge there is then that, um, yeah, again, it's getting that buy-in, isn't it? Because you're chasing, you're chasing go live and, and people are going, I just want to get rid of this project now. You know, there could well be project fatigue at that point. So I think it's I think it's hard actually for the for the client to um, to think about beyond go live and, and to be thinking you know, strategically how this this tool will help them um, enable their, you know, their, their teams and uh, achieve achieve their strategy. Um, and then, you know, and, and quite often, um, you know, our services, HeartSquare services come to, to an end shortly after go live as well. So. Um, and obviously, there's, um, you know, that that's in line with what we've, we've said, and as much as we would quite like to say, uh, and, and the client might want us to stay, you know, there's there's only so much, um, you know, uh, financially they can continue with us. And I think as well, I imagine, uh, you know, when we go, you know, things do fall off, you know, but things inevitably we're driving it forward, and then that um, that you know that work can fall back then because there isn't someone there to keep to keep it going. Yeah, I think I, I really agree there that. We're sort of setting up two scenarios where perhaps we're coming in with a, an implementation project objective. And I think a good scenario uh, against the risk you're describing, Helen, is where a client understands the strategic landscape and they're happy to have our handover and keep going. They're capable and they've, they've got the, the mindset to see it strategically. And then it, it's probably as Rob is, is stating, there are newer scenarios where we are coming in more and more and working strategically um, so over longer periods and with greater breadth so we almost do remain and, and we see multiple phases and um, I really open this up just to thoughts because I, I, I was on a kind of one of these events in project management recently and I think if you look at the broader world there's there's some amazing scary statistics coming out that you know, in future, organisations are probably expected to spend at least 10% of, of their um, expenditure on, on technology and on the digital services. And um, I think that's quite scary for the not-for-profit sector. And then also the ratio is changing between ongoing resource to manage technology and actual project and change resource. And I'll drop the A word of Agile. Um, but the great thing about Agile is not only does it probably help with strategy, um, but it helps with rolling strategy. So if you get to the end of a big project and you know you're going into continuous improvement, 
I think it does well managed. It does respond well to actually in our strategy. This is emerging as a priority. Let's look at how the tech can be built and enable you know, what we need in that in that space now. I think that's that's an interesting point, I think, Matt. Um, yeah, that that continuous improvement idea in agile, the MVP idea in agile, I think, is supporting the, the knowledge that businesses change, businesses evolve, the environment that we're working in changes, evolves. And and it's I suppose that the longer term supporter strategy is a bit more baked into that project methodology. It's almost breaking out of project and into long term strategy support. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I have looked at that methodology in quite that light, but uh, it definitely provides an organization with a more long term partner with the ability to support their changing needs on a long term basis. And interesting. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Andrew. And I think, you know, when you think when we like if we get kind of literal on what a strategy should be, you know, it is intended to be a framework, a direction of travel. You know, the days of saying, actually, I can plot out the next five years and call that my strategy and have a kind of, you know, a detailed work plan for what years one to five look like. And we won't review it for three and a half years. You know, that that just doesn't work anymore, you know. And maybe this is what maybe this is the impact of digital, you know, that those time frames shorten and the need to just be it's now yeah, the A word, the A bomb, if you like um, <clears throat> that. But, you know, it is in, about being adaptive and flexible. The time frames in which you have to make those decisions shorten. And actually, that makes it even more important to have a bit more vision for where you want to get to. Yeah. So you kind of need that. I read something you know, recently that said one of the key components of the strategy is getting the right balance between the wood and the trees. So you have to have that long term vision. You have to have enough vision to take people with you and to persevere when the going gets tough. But you need enough detail in it as well. And maybe the digital projects are those detail and those milestones along the way. And overriding it, you have to have an ever evolving strategy. Sorry, Matt. You're... No, I absolutely agree. Um, and evolving, yeah, being where I was going back to with Agile, certainly. And um, I wondered what people's thoughts were uh, on this. I hear the word strategy and sometimes I shudder because you're probably expecting, as Helen says, this dusty document or electronic file of, you know, great kilobytes to come come out of a network drive. And it's, you know, it's huge and, and almost there's too much in it. There's so much description of aims, objectives, mission, buzzwords. I, I always go back to, I think it was Nike in the 80s, and I'll get the wording wrong, but their vision and strategy at that point was destroy Adidas. And that's kind of brutal, uh, but it's two words. And anyone on the ground floor up to, you know, the exact offices would know that's kind of where we're pointed. So my question is, I'm really interested in the view about how shorthand can be used in our, in our organisations to really say, well, essentially we're doing ABC in the next three years. And whether you've seen that in that that level of succinct terms. Um, yeah, I could uh, jump in here. Um, I think in some ways, I think it's easier for commercial organisations to to be that brutal. You know, that example you've given there about um, uh, Nike. Um, I, I, in some ways, it's, it's easier to, to do that. And I think um, charities, not for profits, because of the multiple stakeholders they have and the varying um, objectives 
they have and channels and so on that, that it, it's harder for them to be that 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 concise and that focused but I do th I do think a good strategy should be should be very very short only a handful of pages otherwise as Rob says you can't see the wood wood for the trees if you know if people don't understand it how many times have we all looked at strategy document and gone what does that mean then and then and then it is meaningless and then it then it is how can then you expect your staff to be to be strategic um when they don't know what what strategy they're supposed to be following and I, I guess the other thing is as well whatever strategy you've got um you, you've got right now you know given that the the environment we're in with um the, the pandemic and, and you know we're, we're still in it and we don't know the, the full impact yet on on each and every one of us whatever strategy you've got it's got to be ripped up and, and started again started again hasn't it really and and probably only be for you know maybe the next six months even just to, to keep it really focused yeah no, I, I think i agree particularly at an organizational level that strategy should be short sweet succinct easily understood with, without i suppose sort of complicated detail because you need everyone to buy into that. Um, the detail comes underneath with the membership team strategy or the fundraising team strategy or, or even the tech strategy. That's that's where some of the detail gets fleshed out, in, in my opinion. But at an organisational level, I really think short, sweet, easy to buy into because that's what you need absolutely is that buy-in across the organisation. Um, perhaps uh, Destroy Adidas is, is a bit too short and sweet, but it's easily understood, isn't it? And everybody in that organisation knows exactly what uh, Nike's uh, strategy is there and uh, work towards it. So I can see some real advantages in, in that kind of approach. And I, I definitely hear the viewpoint because, you know, there are deep waters, troubled waters around applying commercial principles in full to to the NFP space and I think you're right to identify stakeholders that the sensitivity of a, a charity stakeholder network donors you know um, particularly high wealth donors not-for-profits their members who have voting rights you know it's it's you have to exercise care I'd love to see or hear the ones that are like look in a year's time we will make a step change in our education for our members um, you know, those kind of things that could be described in simple terms. And yeah, you're right, a handful of pages, simple statements, something, you know, nudging someone by the photocopier or the virtual photocopier, they could say, yeah, essentially we're doing these four things in, in, in this three year period. Yeah, I think there's something really good there also when we're talking about, because we talk about sort of leadership and employee engagement and getting people's buy-in and the idea actually that at that, you know, the top level of whatever your organisation is, you have, you know, some very short, concise, clear, visionary statements, and then the cascade within the organisation, within the nonprofit, is okay. So, how do we contribute to that? Yeah. So, don't tell people what they can do. Just tell them, you know, this is what we're trying to, what we're setting out to achieve. You, particularly, probably, I, you know, you know we're all emotionally attached to the sector, right? But you know. We know that it is about the cause and people, the people who work for the charities and membership bodies are really committed to trying to deliver change for their members, services, etc. So giving people the, that opportunity, letting them innovate and be creative. I think that kind of model, like you say, where you set out, this is where we need to get to because this is where we're going. And then it brings everyone to the party, but recognises that they have something to contribute. 
And that has got to make it more, that not just resonate more, but also achieve that kind of buy-in. You know, if you feel like you're being asked to come to the party, yeah, as opposed to just told this is where it is, you know, you're more likely to go along, right? That's that's an organisational vision rather than a strategy in some ways, and that's not a criticism. Um, Semantics, Andrew. Yeah, but no, but I think yeah. The, the, no, you're right. You're right. I, I think it's right for it to be at that vision level, actually, at an organisation. Um, they shouldn't be dictating, and this is how you're going to to achieve this. That that's the level of detail for the teams to to work out and buy buy into themselves. Uh, how do they support that vision at the organisation level? Um, I was just reflecting then what you were saying, Rob, about um, getting everyone involved. Um, and I, I think that, that's interesting because it, it's not always the case, though, is it, that people want to get all their staff and all their teams involved and they want sometimes they want to keep certain people at arm's length so that they don't, um, you know, they, they, you know, stakeholder engagement is it's a tough one, isn't it? Because sometimes you, you bring people along and you, and you just know that there's going to be difficult conversations and not everybody wants to have those difficult conversations, understandably. And then that's when um, the, uh, the the strategy can fail then at that point because you're just not getting that buy-in. It can, yeah. I guess the key is to, yeah, I suppose you have to be brave enough to want to have those conversations. As a leader, you have to be, you know, wanting to. You don't want to hide from it. You don't want it to be, you know, background noise that's going to hold you under the waterline at some point. I think you want to be out there saying this is the vision, you know, join in or tell us why you won't. But, you know, that that's... My take on it. Sorry, Matt, you were can chip in there as well. No, it was good serendipity because I was thinking about something and and Helen kind of relevant to, to your point that um I think it's a business analysis tool and concept. And I know people sigh at me at being Mr. Concept, but it, it's the most acronym, you know, mission, objective, strategies and tactics. And I think when you're building a strategy, you know, you can work your way down from vision. I think Andrew, as you say, right down to team plan. Um, but I kind of had an offer in that. I think you're right. You know, if we go back to projects and we go back to buy-in of people doing the work, I just wonder what our thoughts are about when we need to lift people out and say strategically, I don't know, either this doesn't matter or it's simple versus where we actually have to go down into, into the detail and talk about either a tactical change we need to make. Or that, yeah, the tactics of, about how we deal with the project in the next month, in the next two months, um, you know, are really important. I just wonder how we can use strategy and that sort of strategic versus tactical mode to help people uh, when they're either getting too clouded by detail or they are head in the clouds. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a really good point, but I do come back to like for me, that's you know whether we're talking vision or or strategy, and and those two do combine. Um, that is kind of one of those hooks that you bring people back to, you know, when things when things are going, you know, maybe not the way people expected or the way they wanted, the project hitting a rock, and you've got to, you have to make compromises, right? We all know that, yeah. There's no such thing that you're perfect or kill us. You have to you have to compromise to achieve your goals, and actually bringing people up to that bigger picture is something that we do talk about, and we do know to get them out of to to stop being kind of deadlocked by the detail bring them up, tie them back into the strategy, show how you can still achieve your your end game, your outcomes, even if you give up this point, even if you concede something that you thought was was a red line for you, you know? That's where I see that role of strategy in it, uh, in that conversation. 
And very quickly, that was where I was going, that actually we sort of say in these moments, let's admit to a tactical change or tactical issue management, as long as we're all still bought in and we remember that we're still heading towards a strategic goal. Yeah, spot on. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And in that sense, yeah, the tactical is, is, is at risk of being handcuffed, isn't it? That the strategy gives you the key, breaks you free. Oh, yeah, I've been uh, keeping relatively quiet on this one and just taking it all in um, and learning lots from from all of you, really, on on organisational strategy, to be honest. Um, but just sort of as we're coming to sort of the close of this podcast, I wondered if um, you could just reflect on sort of your experiences and working with your clients. Just to cover off that, the main question we had at the beginning, really, what makes a good organisational organizational strategy in your eyes what would you identify let's go with like the top three components if you like um that you would identify to for our audience to take away with them today i'll go i'll um so well i guess that one exists in the first place and i don't think we should take that as that as a given because that there's a lot of um of our clients who don't don't have one or that we're working on it there's, there's a lot of that i get when when we ask it so i think to, to have one um and I guess not then not to not to overthink it, you know, to, for it to be concise. Um, you know, as Andrew says, it doesn't have to cover everything. You know, it needs to be the starting point then from which the other teams, the fundraising department, the membership department, then build out their own individual strategies to support the overall strategy. So, yes, yeah, so it needs to be it needs to be concise and easy to understand and, and you know, achievable. I guess it has to be something that's um, achievable. There's no point having some really. Um, you know, grand objectives in it that is way beyond the remit of the organisation or cannot be done within that period of time. You know, we need to, be, you know, attract X thousand number members when you think about it, it's just not going to happen, is it? Let's let's be real. So it has to, I think, that, that, that you know, being realistic for it to be achievable um, so that people can latch onto it um, and go, OK, I understand where my role is in that. I know what I can do to contribute towards that. That I think I think that's probably more than three, Ellie, but that would be my... Uh, um, that my point is. Uh, I think for me, it's it's all about your beneficiaries. Um, as a charity, uh, it's all about the people that you are helping, supporting. As a membership organisation, it, it's all about your members in, in many respects, your beneficiaries. It, it's how can we better support them? Um, that should be the centre of the organisational strategy. Um, and the, I think the second big key for me is, as I said earlier, that the tech is an enabler. Um, it's a very big enabler. It's an expensive enabler. Um, don't get me wrong, but it, it shouldn't be the centre of what you do. The tech should be there to support your, your external output to your beneficiaries. Great. I, I counted at, at least six there, so I'm going to try and get us up to nine. I really agree with all of those. I'm going to go for clear. I think some of the thinking and the working of strategy goes into how clear the objectives are and, and the intention. Um, I'm going to say flexible. We've discussed that a lot and, and almost even in the statements that there is some air for flexibility when things change. Um, let's say that. And the other thing which is kind of linked to achievable, Helen, is definitely um, measurable. I, I think so many strategies just you know, they land on the beach and the next strategy is off. And I, I really welcome exercises that do say, what did we achieve in this three years? Even if there's an amnesty on things that weren't achievable for whatever reason, 
COVID, you know. And so those would be my three. Right. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, there's <clears throat> excuse me, lots of really great nuggets and take t- takeaways there. And um, I've definitely learned a lot. So hopefully um, our listeners have too. So I just want to thank you all for joining us today and discussing it all with us. So thank you. So we really hope you enjoyed that episode with Helen, Matt and Andrew. Um, I think it was a really great discussion on organisational strategy and I really like their rounds off of what they think makes a good organisational strategy. I think that was a really great summary. Um, But is there anything in particular, Rob, that you um, took away from this episode? Thanks, Eddie. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely lived up to its billing, didn't it? You know, we were (laughs) looking forward to that and uh, and the guys have got a lot of good things to say. I think for me, you know, talk about it has to be actionable um it has to include what you won't do as well as what we do do that kind of idea you know as an organization you can't do everything so where are your priorities um some really key messages yeah and then like you say the, the summaries at the end uh little little gems in there so yeah really good really good episode great definitely and um, so we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did and don't forget if you did enjoy it um, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you'll get latest notified of the latest episodes don't forget you can follow us on linkedin and twitter by searching heart square where as always you'll find lots more content on the themes of leadership digital culture and capability we look forward to seeing you on the next episode